From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Wednesday, August second, two thousand twenty-three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Typhoon Kanun has killed at least one person in Japan and is now slowly churning towards China's east coast. Former U.S. President Donald Trump faces four new charges from his third indictment since leaving office. Naval Orange farmers in Hunan Province. Are exploring innovative farming models and green practices. In business, China's central bank offers more support for the real economy. In sports, China claims athletics gold at the World University Games. In culture and entertainment, an evening of adventure at the National Natural History Museum in Beijing. Now checking the day's top stories. Typhoon Kanun has killed at least one person in Japan and injured 11 others. High winds knocked out power in more than 200,000 homes in Okinawa. Authorities have advised nearly 700,000 people in the tourist destination to leave, but the transportation ministry has canceled flights and suspended ferry services. Chris Gilbert reports from Tokyo. We're looking at the main event in Okinawa. Typhoon Kanun has arrived near the main city of Naha, bringing those. 12-meter、uh, waves, the 180 millimeters of torrential rain, gusts up to 230 kilometers per hour, and it is being felt. Some injuries have been reported. There has been one death reported as well, that of a 90-year-old man who passed away in hospital after being rescued from the rubble of his garage. Which had collapsed in the strong winds.、Uh, officials in Okinawa had said that they were concerned about people not evacuating. The typhoon is expected to linger around Okinawa for the rest of the day. Over the next couple of days, it is going to move northwest towards the eastern coast of China, the periphery of the typhoon,、uh, licking the coastline just below Shanghai with wind and rain. And on Monday, it is expected to turn back towards Japan, towards the main island of Kyushu and the town of Kagoshima. There, which has already experienced torrential flooding and rain over the past few weeks, so、uh, just more misery in store for Kyushu as well. 
That was Chris Gilbert on the extreme weather in Japan. Well, as uh, Chris mentioned, Kanun is bringing wind and rain to China's east coast. Uh, for more on the typhoon's impacts on Japan and China over the coming days, Wang Tianyi reports from the China Meteorological Administration. The path is closely related to the subtropical high pressure system, which pushes it towards into the west. And then the subtropical high is likely to tear apart. The north one will drag Typhoon Canoe to the west, while the southern one is likely to guide it towards into the east. The battle between these two will suspend the movement of Canoe for a little while to the east of Zhejiang. And then, as the north one weakens, the southern one is likely to take the dominance, leading Canoe towards into the northeast. Wherefore, forecasting that Kanun is likely to be a little bit suspending to the east of Zhejiang sometime on Friday, and then it will take turns towards into the northeast, approaching Japan. And no matter whether or not it will make landfall in China, damaging winds will be the top concern. And here for the coastal regions of Zhejiang, Fujian, as well as Taiwan, are likely to brace for rather fierce gusty winds up to 10 or even 12 to 13 gale force and we're seeing no major impacts to the majority of Japan and most of the precipitation across the nation will is mostly due to the warm moisture from the edge of the subtropical high pressure system while the flooding rain as well as the damaging winds that will be brought by typhoon canoe will be quickly developing from this weekend into early next week that was uh, Wang Tianyi reporting on the trajectory of typhoon canoe Rain and flooding have eased in Beijing after heavy downpours killed 11 people in the capital city. Communication, power, and water supplies were disrupted in some areas. A flood water is starting to recede, and people are beginning to clean the mud and assess the damage. Sunya went to one of the worst-hit regions in western Beijing. In Mentougou, one of the city's worst heat areas, floodwaters are receding, but the recovery work ahead looks daunting. Mr. Lee told us the water carried his car away from its parking spot. He saw what happened on social media and had been alerted by many who saw the dramatic scene. He's grateful that nothing else was claimed by the most severe weather event he'd seen in his life. This shop owner said the floodwaters reached waist high when his employees evacuated. No one has seen anything like this in at least 50 years, he said. And the only thing for them to do, we will keep cleaning, he told us. The strip of small shops still has no water or electricity. People had been evacuated and relocated in parts of the Chinese capital. This 63-year-old told us that he was terrified when he saw the floods outside of his window. He feels safe now at a primary school that's been transformed into a temporary shelter. Authorities continue to caution that there are still chances for floods, flash floods, and other types of natural disasters. That was Sunya reporting. Coming up, former U.S. President Donald Trump faces four new criminal charges. Over the past weekend, maximum precipitation in northern China reached over 1,000 millimeters in three days, equivalent to the total amount of rainfall typically seen over two years. Elsewhere in the north, including Beijing, people also experience unprecedented and destructive rainfall. What caused this weather anomaly? 
How are communities coping with the situation? To what extent is this related to climate change? And what can we learn from it? If that's the case, then next year could be even hotter than this year. Tune in to Deep Dive this week to explore the answers. Available on all major podcast platforms. Just search for Deep Dive. At seven minutes past the hour, former U.S. President Donald Trump is facing four new charges in his third indictment. They're in connection to his alleged attempt to overturn the 2020 presidential election. The indictment also includes six co-conspirators who've uh, not yet been named. Nick Harper reports from Washington. All to do with his actions on January the 6th, 2021, the day that the U.S. Capitol was attacked and the former president's attempts to overturn the 2020 election results. So just to run you through these charges, they are conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, conspiracy of obstruction of and the attempt to obstruct an official proceeding and conspiracy against rights. The special prosecutor, Jack Smith, who's been heading up this investigation, read out those charges. Let's listen to what else he had to say. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. It's described in the indictment it was fueled by lies. Prosecutors also say in that indictment that Trump, despite knowing that his claims were false, he continued to push them. Well, Donald Trump has put out a statement, a statement that came out very quickly after this indictment was announced. In it, he said that this is nothing more than the latest corrupt chapter in the continued pathetic attempt by the Biden crime family and their weaponized Department of Justice to interfere with the 2024 presidential election in which President Trump is the undisputed frontrunner and leading by substantial margins. That was Nick Harper reporting. The first plane-carrying citizens of France and other European countries evacuated from Niger has landed in Paris. Some of the passengers say they are relieved to be out of the African country. When it started, we did not leave the house. We stayed indoors until they evacuated us. Now things are more stable, according to my husband. Things could have turned ugly, but it still is nice to be back here. We'll see how things evolve over there in the coming days and weeks. For us, who care about Niger quite a lot, we'll follow this closely. I am happy to be here. I don't know what will happen over there. Things are a bit tense. It could be better. Spain, Italy and Germany have also organized charter flights for their citizens. However, a European Union spokesperson says the EU is not planning an official evacuation of its staff in Niger. Guyana is the first South American country to join the Belt and Road Initiative, with, uh, which Chinese President Xi Jinping proposed 10 years ago. Guyanese President Irfan Ali recently traveled to China for a visit and to attend the opening ceremony of the World University Games in Chengdu. His meetings with President Xi and uh, Premier Li Chung have uh, been hailed as the start of a new era for China and Guyana. President Ali sat down with Dong Shui and shared his impressions of China and the BRI. I understand this is your first time here in China. What are your impressions so far and what do you hope to achieve? Well, while this is my first time in China, my impression about China uh, has been crafted a very long time ago. My grandmother visited China in 1965. She was part of a women delegation coming here 
then representing uh, the party I am from, the People's Progressive Party, on a party-to-party -party exchange program. China has been and continue to be an important development partner, not only for the developing world, but also for the developed community. So China's role in global politics, global economy, global trade, and its global position does not allow you to ignore the influence of China. So as a leader, I am fully aware of the potential of China, the contribution of China, and the emergence of China as an important development partner. Guyana is the first South American country to sign up to China's Belt and Road Initiative, which marks its 10th anniversary this year. And according to Chinese President Xi Jinping, you know, this was part of the effort to build a community with a shared future. So what does this idea mean to you? President Xi's idea of the Belt and Road Initiative has been carefully uh, analyzed, I would say, and expanded, modified and expanded into a new area of the shared value system. We have a situation now globally where countries are faced with expanding uh, uh, fiscal deficit, increased debt burden, uh, inability to service their debt. Uh, the pandemic has uh, you know, created a, a much greater and a more volatile situation. The technological gap, digitization gap, AI coming on stream, the people-centered development, reprioritizing financing, uh, getting the commitment uh, that the developed world would have made in terms of climate financing, the $100 billion, getting them actually to, uh, to reach those commitments and to act upon the commitment, uh, commitments uh, they would have made. So all of these now are new areas uh, that become necessary in context of the SDGs by 2030. And President Xi's approach is to, uh, to expand, I would say, the Belt and Road Initiative to include all of this in his uh, shared governance framework, shared responsibility framework. And I think that is what makes it very interesting. That was Guyanese President Irfan Ali on what the Belt and Road Initiative means for Guyana and the rest of the world. The Azerbaijani president says the, B, uh, the Belt and Road Initiative will further promote cultural interaction among countries on the ancient Silk Road. Uh, Ilham Aliyev has stressed his country's achievements in preserving cultural heritage and the cultural value of the trade initiative. Definitely, this uh, will create uh, additional spirit or will contribute to the spirit of uh, friendship and interaction. Because uh, countries which uh, were situated on the uh, Asian Silk Road, one of the specifics or similarity is they, that they have a diverse societies, multi-ethnic and multi-confessional societies. Now the president added that Azerbaijan is preserving its cultural heritage for future generations. The Sri Lankan ambassador to China says the Belt and Road Initiative has shown huge potential in fostering economic growth for his country. The country has built several infrastructure projects like seaports, highways, and airports with funding that was made available under the BRI. The ambassador says the port will help various businesses in the inland areas of the region thrive. And with more on this, Guayan spoke with Dr. Palitha Kahona. 
In February, the Chinese ambassador to Sri Lanka visited a village in the Hambantota district where he inspected a lot of infrastructure projects, such as a trading station of agricultural products and clinics funded by Chinese companies. How significant is the development of the port to the rural development in the southern province? A major port will always have an impact in the rural areas. Prior to the port being developed and the airport, Hambantota was very rural, but now it has the opportunity to become the hinterland of this port, which will give the hinterland the opportunity to provide the food, the water, the accommodation, etc. That will be required in relation to a port of this nature. The farmers, the agricultural producers of this area will have a market for their products. Similarly, Hamantuta is close to some of our most popular tourist destinations. Cruise ships will, and they have already started doing it, will start calling it Hambantutta. So the hinterland, the area around adjoining the port will have an op- the opportunity to develop and prosper. And the building of the port had as one of its objectives the development of the region. And the region extends beyond Hambantutta to uh, to a vast area, to the southern province, the eastern province, and the western province. We hope that, and I'm certain this hope will be realized, the creation, building of the port, the airport, and the industrial zone will enable those areas also to develop faster than uh, they would have otherwise. Ambassador, Sri Lanka was among the first batch of countries to join the Belt and Road Initiative when it was announced 10 years ago. How has this initiative fared so far and what are the future prospects of BRI in Sri Lanka? We welcome the BRI because we saw the potential of this initiative. When President Xi Jinping announced this initiative, many countries, including Sri Lanka, welcomed it. At the time, it was uh, estimated that uh, four to eight trillion dollars, not million, not billion, but trillion dollars, four to eight trillion dollars will be invested in the wider region under this initiative. Some of the investments have already been made. There's still more potential. And we've seen that despite all the criticism, these investments have enabled countries to improve their economies. Some countries have done much better than others. And Sri Lanka is one country that also benefited both the Colombo port city and the Hambantota port and quite a few in uh, infrastructure projects like highways and airports were built uh, with funding that was made available under the BRI. Sri Lanka has benefited so much and we hope that we will continue to benefit from the BRI because uh, most countries that accepted this uh, became partners of the BRI. They all believe that this will be an opportunity for them to reach to higher levels of prosperity. The BRI is also indented to create a, a zone of shared prosperity. Sri Lanka would definitely want to be part of this zone of shared uh, prosperity. That was Dr. Palitha Kahona, uh, the Sri Lankan ambassador to China. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, and coming up, farmers in Hunan province are exploring innovative practices and green techniques. Looking for the hottest trends in China? Craving captivating podcasts and stories from our reporters? 
Get in the know and follow CGTN Radio on Twitter and stay informed. 19 minutes past the hour. Well, starting today, we bring you a three-part series from Hunan Province with stories on agriculture, history, and culture. We begin with orange farming in the central Chinese province. Naval orange farmers in Hunan are exploring innovative farming models while prioritizing green practices to achieve high yields and sustainable development. Uh, Joe Fung recently visited a naval orange uh, plantation in Dow County and spoke with several workers and technicians. Dubbed the hometown of naval oranges in China, Dow County has undertaken a slew of measures to boost the industry. Currently, the county has established nearly 30 naval orange bases, investing more than 1.5 billion yuan or around 200 million US dollars. Zhou Xiaojun manages a plantation at a base in Lotian village. The base covers more than 7,000 mu or over 460 hectares, with naval oranges being the predominant crop. Joe says due to the specific growth pattern of naval oranges, they have adopted intercropping techniques and planted complementary crops to increase incomes and nourish the soil. Our naval oranges cannot be harvested within three years, so we adopt intercropping, mainly with some local specialties such as peanuts, soybeans, watermelons and radishes. There is also a lot of rapeseed. The straw from soybeans and rapeseed can be used as green fertilizer. We also raise Daozhou gray geese, which eat grass. So they are our most diligent weeders. The geographical conditions in Dao County make it an ideal location for naval orange cultivation, with abundant water resources and ample sunlight. Technician Huang Yuanxin with the county's Bureau of Agriculture and Rural Affairs explains why the province chose the area as a demonstration base. The geographical conditions here, including light, heat, water, soil fertility and climate, are all very suitable for the growth of naval oranges. It is far from the city's industrial area, ensuring excellent air quality and water sources. The water quality must meet the standards required for green food. The soil and the use of pesticides and fertilizers must comply with the production regulations for green food. Strict restrictions on the use of pesticides are in place, and organic fertilizers are preferred. Huang adds that during the harvest season, the Bureau will conduct sampling and testing of the products from the base to ensure their quality. To optimize water and fertilizer usage, the base employs drip irrigation and micro-sprinklers to deliver water-soluble fertilizers directly to the roots of the oranges for efficient absorption. It also hires workers to assist with tasks such as weeding the fields and applying fertilizers and pesticides. Manager Joe says he hires both full-time and part-time workers, paying them around 400,000 yuan or around 56,000 US dollars annually. I think working here is good. It's not tiring at all, and the boss is good. We can enjoy enough freedom and get money. I am satisfied with the salary. I think the manager has done a good job. He gets rid of pests and weeds the fields every week. Currently, the area dedicated to naval oranges in Dow County has surpassed 13,000 hectares, with an annual production of 200,000 tons and an output value of over 1 billion yuan. 
Authorities say by 2030, the county's citrus planting area will reach 21,000 hectares, with a total output of 510,000 tons and an output value of 3 billion yuan. For the Beijing Hour, this is Zhou Fang. We hope you'll join us again on Thursday to explore dragon boat head carving together. Well, second-tier cities in China have become popular destinations for graduates as they increasingly opt for slower-paced jobs. Figures show that the appeal of the biggest cities continues to weaken, and the proportion of employment in such cities has dropped by nearly 20% in the past five years. Zheng Tao has more. A growing number of Chinese graduates are choosing second-tier cities or even rural areas to find employment. 25-year-old Luo Mengli is a postgraduate from Central China Normal University. China Nuclear Engineering and Construction Group in Wuhan hired her this summer. Cities like Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, and Shenzhen are indeed rich in resources and are very suitable for people pursuing their dreams. However, my dream is to stay with my parents, so I choose to work in my hometown. The shift can be attributed to the significant improvements in infrastructure, transportation, and overall living standards in less developed areas. Many companies have set up headquarters or branches in these regions, providing decent working positions for graduates. Given the highly competitive job market, Law says graduates should consider their own circumstances instead of blindly looking for work in big cities. We need to reflect on ourselves to see what our strengths and weaknesses are, and what kind of environment we need to adapt. Facing uncertainty in the future, we should try our best to realize our personal value. Apart from salaries, stability is becoming increasingly important for young people to choose an occupation. According to a poll, over two-thirds of respondents say they prefer to work in a place near their families, and over half of them say they prefer a slow-paced life. New grad Du Jin has returned to her hometown to work as a teacher. She says finding a job ultimately depends on individual preferences and career goals. The income may be higher in first-tier cities, and the resources are better, but the risks are relatively higher. My hometown is in Hainan, which is currently building a free trade port in the city. I can see tons of opportunities in the future. Besides, Hainan's education is weak, and I want to contribute my bit to support my hometown's development. Meanwhile, a growing number of Chinese cities have also rolled out favorable policies to attract talent in recent years, such as offering discounted house purchases for college graduates and free accommodation for job seekers. For the Beijing Hour, this is Jiang Tao. A study shows that plastic pollution has emerged as a threat to the world's largest coral reef system. It says plastic waste is reaching more of the Great Barrier Reef, causing structural damage and increasing the transmission of disease. Lead author Lucy Woodall from the University of Exeter says,、uh, "What concerns them most is that the plastics were not only found in waters dominated by human habitation, but also in remote areas of what's considered to be near pristine reef around uninhabited." Habited Pacific atolls. 
if we're trying to do a global accounting of how much is out there, um, and therefore, what is that issue that we really need to start turning off the tap to stop more from coming in, then we really need to know where it is now, what are those sources, what are the main sources, and then we can actively do something about it now, rather than just saying it's a problem that we'll need to fix at some point. She says reports like the one she's authored show that governments need to act immediately before the coral reef system is added to danger lists. The UN Cultural Agency has decided not to list the Great Barrier Reef as in danger. It says it would be in a, or rather it would be appropriate to reevaluate whether the coral reef system uh, fits uh, the World Heritage in Danger criteria. Chinese researchers have developed an artificial intelligence model to predict the pattern of Central Pacific El Nino events. Scientists believe that El Ninos in the Central Pacific can have far-reaching impacts on global climate, making accurate predictions crucial for preparedness and risk reduction. Researchers with the Chinese Academy of Sciences developed a deep learning model for predicting the spatial pattern of sea surface temperature anomalies in the equatorial Pacific. And according to the study, the AI model surpasses traditional dynamic models in terms of accuracy. We're at 28 minutes past the hour now. Checking the forecast before the break and Beijing's at 26 degrees overnight. Tomorrow's overcast and 34. Chongqing has a slight rain and 26 this evening. Uh, that rain continues through the day tomorrow with a high of 34. Last is getting slight rain and 12 overnight. Tomorrow's cloudy and 23. Hong Kong's at 28 this evening, then sunny and 33. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 26 overnight. It'll be partly cloudy and 34 on Thursday. Uh, still in Japan, Typhoon Kanun in Okinawa is bringing rain with 31 this evening. The rain continues tomorrow. The high is 31 degrees. Uh, Islamabad's 26 overnight, then partly cloudy and 37. Bang Bangkok's at 28 this evening, then thunderstorms and 33 degrees on Thursday. In Africa, Nairobi's getting clouds in 21. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, Typhoon Canoons killed at least one person in Japan and is now slowly churning towards China's east coast. Former U.S. President Donald Trump faces four new charges from his third indictment since leaving office. Naval orange farmers in Hunan province are exploring innovative farming models and green practices. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum with you on this Wednesday, still to come. In business, China's central bank offers more support for the real economy. In sports, China's, uh, or China's claimed athletics gold at the World University Games. In culture and entertainment, an evening of adventure at the National Natural History Museum in Beijing. To contact us, you can email uh, beijinghour at cri.com.cn or follow our Twitter account at CGTN Radio. Uh, now, a check of the day's headline news. At least one person's dead in Japan as Typhoon Kanun brought high winds and hit power lines in Okinawa. It left one-third of households in the prefecture without power. The typhoon's also approaching China now. Some ferry services on the east coast have been suspended in anticipation of strong gusts and high waves. 
China has launched an emergency response for flood control in Inner Mongolia and the provinces of Heilongjiang, Jilin, and Liaoning. From Wednesday to Friday, heavy rains are expected to lash most parts of the Songhua and Liaohe river basins in the northeast. Heilongjiang is already under the highest level warnings for rainstorms. Prime Minister of Niger says the sanctions by the economic community of West African states are a serious threat to his country and will present immeasurable damage to the population. Ahomado Mohamedo made the remarks after the West African regional bloc announced travel and financial sanctions on military leaders in Niger involved in a recent coup that ousted President Mohamed Bazoum. It's a catastrophe because Niger is a fragile country. It's a country. It's a country where nearly 4 million people are already suffering with food insecurity, including at least 2 million with severe food insecurity. It's a country with 300,000 refugees and as many internally displaced people. The Prime Minister warns that the current instability in Niger will ultimately encourage the further development of insecurity. But he says he wants to remain optimistic about the possibility for his country to regain democracy and avoid military intervention from ECOWAS. The bloc has given the coup leaders a one-week deadline to cede power and reinstate Bazoum. The bloc says it could use force if the coup leaders refuse to finish those tasks within the period. The U.S. Justice Department's indicted former President Donald Trump in connection with his alleged efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. The changes include conspiring to defraud the U.S. by preventing Congress from certifying Joe Biden's victory. It's the third indictment in four months for Trump, who is a favorite for the Republican presidential nomination. The United States has taken on the presidency of the U.N. Security Council. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield says the council's top priority is to focus on conflict-induced famine and food insecurity. The issue has been the focus of her past two presidencies of the Security Council. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will chair an open debate on the issue this week. Other issues to be involved in the agenda include human rights, the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, and the situation in Syria. Local prosecutors have charged the son of Colombian President Gustavo Petro with money laundering and illicit enrichment. Prosecutors accused Nicolas Petro of taking thousands of U.S. dollars from drug traffickers and using the illicit funds to buy luxury homes and expensive cars. Uh, They say the 36-year-old registered the properties under the names of relatives to avoid investigation from tax officials. Nicolas Petro's pleaded not guilty to the charges. Uh, President Gustavo Petro says he'll not interfere with the investigation, saying that he hopes that his son will reflect on his mistakes. The head of the Brazilian Environment Department says the country is inviting some European, Asian, and Central African countries to take part in the upcoming Amazon Summit next week. Uh, Maria Akita says uh, some of the countries invited also have tropical flora, which is similar to the Amazon rainforest. No caso, nós convidamos a Indonésia. We invited the Republic of Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Indonesia to make a difference between the Republic of Congo, whose capital is Brazzaville, often called Congo Brazzaville, and the Democratic Republic of Congo, whose capital is Kinshasa. We also invited at the initiative of Ambassador Gisela Figueiredo Panovan to St. Vincent and Grenadines, 
which is the current president of CELANC. Other countries were invited, such as Germany, France and Norway. France has French Guiana, which is also in the region. Germany and Norway, because they are both major contributors to the ACTO and to the Amazon Fund. Amazon Summit aims to move the members of the Amazon Cooperation Treaty Organization to act together to preserve the forest and promote sustainable development. It'll be held on August 8th and 9th in Bellum. Greece is offering a week-long free stay for holidaymakers whose vacations on Rhodes Island were cut short by the wildfires. Greece said it carried out the largest evacuation ever undertaken in the country because of the blazes that started in mid-July. More than 20,000 tourists and locals fled the resort. The Prime Minister says the situation's normal now and the government will compensate the visitors with free holidays next year. And that's your headline news update. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China's central bank offers more support for the real economy. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. 37 past the hour. Now turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Wednesday. Timothy Pope has more. The uh, Shanghai Composite Index fell about nine-tenths of one percent. We saw some investor concern over China's economic recovery continuing to grow. The uh, Shenzhen component declined by more than a third of one percent. These falls come uh, despite the announcement by the People's Bank of China that it will be supporting uh, the property sector over the next couple of months. That statement uh, echoed some comments from the Minister of Housing and Urban Rural Development uh, saying uh, that uh, home loan interest rates and down payment ratios need to come down. The PBOC also said that it would be working with the commercial banks in China uh, to see that they can adjust uh, rates for existing mortgages. And while that news did help to boost developer stocks, it had little impact on the broader market. Uh, Greenland Holdings, one developer, uh, added about uh, 1.2%, and Cinder Real Estate rose by 3.8%. Uh, property sector stocks as a whole, though, were up less than 1%, and uh, the Shanghai Composite uh, really saw uh, very few other rising sectors. Uh, energy stocks led the declines. PetroChina slumped by 5.6%, uh, leading the losses there. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down around 2.5%. In Japan, the Nikkei dropped 2.3%. China's central bank has reaffirmed its commitment to supporting the real economy. The People's Bank of China emphasized the continuation of a prudent monetary policy aimed at fostering a favorable monetary and financial environment for steady economic growth. A key priorities include scientific and technological innovation, green development, and support for micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises. The PBOC also pledged to reduce financing costs for businesses and residential credit interest rates. Regarding the housing sector, the PBOC plans to lower interest rates and down payment ratios for new mortgages, while guiding banks to adjust rates for existing mortgages. Additionally, the PBOC will extend its loan support plan to ensure the timely completion of housing projects. The central bank also intends to leverage multiple tools uh, to maintain reasonably ample liquidity levels.
The Industrial and Commercial Bank of China has unveiled a new initiative called the Action Plan for Financial Support of High-Quality Development of Private Enterprises. ICBC Chairman Chen Suqing says the primary objectives of the plan are to allocate a greater amount of financial resources, including various funding options, towards the private economy. The next step is to increase financial support for development private enterprises. Presently, the outstanding loans provided to private enterprises have surpassed 4.3 trillion yuan, signifying a sustained leading position in the market over an extended period of time. The Industrial and Commercial Bank of China is playing an instrumental role at the main channel for the transmission of monetary policy. It actively ensures accurate policy guidance and effective allocation funds, thereby guaranteeing that policy benefits translate into tangible progress and growth for private enterprises. Over the next three years, the plan aims to provide a minimum of 6 trillion yuan in additional financing to support the development of private enterprises. Uh, This funding will be strategically directed towards new initiatives, expanding investment, embracing new technologies, and ensuring environmental sustainability. The overarching goal is to address the financing needs of private enterprises while minimizing costs and further solidifying support for the private economy. Agriculture and the rural economy have crucial roles in China's national economy. Wang Suwen visited Shouguang in Shandong province for a closer look at the development of modern agriculture. Shouguang city in Shandong province has the largest vegetable trading center in China, with an annual output of 4.5 million tons of vegetables and 9,000 square kilometers of greenhouses devoted to vegetables. Shouguang has formed a complete industrial system from seed research, planting management, and quality standard verification. Building demonstration parks for standardized vegetable production, establishing innovative laboratories, promoting intelligent agricultural machinery industry, multiple measures have been taken to promote modern agriculture. After more than 30 years of development, now it has developed to the seventh generation. The insulation effect of the greenhouse wall is better. With intelligent devices, the heat network in greenhouse can integrate devices like the greenhouse rolling machine, water and fertilizer integrated machine, plant protection machine, and cooling machine. Farmers can use mobile phones to operate at home. Shine technology has also been applied to research projects in rural industrialization. Beginning in August 2020, Shandong Provincial Academy of Agricultural Sciences has selected scientific researchers to work on the front line. In three years, we selected and dispatched 543 experts to three counties. Since that time, we have launched over a thousand new technologies and varieties, which have helped the local scientific and technological progress rate increase by about 10%. Experts say they will keep exploring and focusing on three key areas of seeds, cultivated land, and agricultural machinery, making farmers use the best technology to grow the best food. That was Wang Suwen reporting. In recent years, Tranzhou in Fujian province has transformed the way it conducts its foreign trade. These changes have not only solved problems like currency fluctuations for business, but have also made transportation faster and more cost-efficient, promoting business competitiveness. Olivia He reports. 
How long do you think it takes to transport a North Atlantic lobster from harvest to the dining table? The answer is just 27 hours. A fact that may not astonish residents in China's Quanzhou city. This convenient cross-border shopping experience has become a regular occurrence for locals, thanks to the ongoing revolutionary change in the foreign trade belt in Quanzhou. The opening of the China-Europe Railway Express in Quanzhou has significantly reduced transportation time and lower our transport costs. Additionally, the shift in the traditional foreign trade process in Quanzhou has brought us great convenience to expand our presence in the Belt and Road market. The traditional foreign trade process has changed since a pilot policy was implemented in Quanzhou in 2018. Various reforms in foreign trade have helped solve problems like the risk of currency fluctuations for businesses. Also, the establishment of supply chain management platforms has made it easier and cheaper for businesses to get their products exported, making them more competitive. The success of pilot has driven the booming development of Shishu foreign trade. From January to August this year, the export value of Shishu's market purchasing trade reached 33.7 billion RMB, a year-on-year -year increase of nearly 40 percent. In addition, the Southeast Asia Procurement Center has also become a crucial driving force behind Quanzhou's foreign trade. The traditional foreign trade model poses challenges for small and micro enterprises due to high export costs for small orders. However, the Shishi market procurement model resolves this issue by enabling merchants to export multiple varieties, multiple batches, and small quantities. The model already serves six RCEP member countries, and with RCEP's favorable policies, more than 90% of goods traded between member countries will eventually have zero tariffs. This reduction in trade costs greatly benefits the procurement center's business. Tejing Fu mentioned that the center achieved a cumulative export volume of 4.7 billion yuan in the first half of this year. Quanzhou's foreign trade has gained stronger support from the Quanzhou Market Purchasing Trade Pilot and Southeast Asia Procurement Center. Moreover, the city's high-quality foreign trade products are helping it make a mark on the international stage. And that was Olivia Hu reporting. Uh, Fitch has downgraded the U.S. government's top credit rating from AAA down to AA+. The downgrade follows a debt ceiling agreement in June that came after months of political risk. The credit rating agency says the downgrade of the U.S. reflects an expectation of fis、uh, fiscal de uh, deterioration over the next three years and growing government debt burden. The move has surprised investors and drawn an angry response from the White House. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, China claims athletics gold at the World University Games. Chengdu, a city known for its buzzing nightlife and giant pandas, as well as being a famous foodie destination, is the host city for the 31st Summer World University Games. Athletes from over 80 countries and regions will be competing in 18 sports to fight for a chance to stand on the podium. Who are the star players? What are the highlights of the day's matches, and which team leads the medal table? Tuning to the Beijing Hour on CGTN Radio will bring you the latest news, highlights, and previews during this year's Summer World University Games in Chengdu. 
47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. We start with the World University Games. China backed two gold medals on the first day of athletics action in Chengdu. Song Jiayuan won the women's shot put title as the only athlete on the field throwing beyond 18 meters. Xia Yu then managed to overtake a Turkish opponent in the final lap to win the gold medal in the women's 10,000 meter. In the pool, Olympic champion Zhang Yufei led Team China to win in the first swimming gold medal for the host country in the women's 4x100m freestyle relay. China also secured the men's and women's table tennis team event titles. For more on, what, on what's going on on the Games, we now speak to Chengdu correspondent Tian Yu. Uh, hi Tian Yu, among some highlights at the Games, China's women's basketball team has reached the semi-finals in Chengdu. Tell us more about their performance. Well, on Tuesday night uh, in the Grand Phoenix Mountain Sports Park in Chengdu, Chinese girls were competing with some of the world's best basketball players in Team Brazil in the quarterfinal of women's basketball. Zhang Jingyi was definitely the MVP of the game. She scored 7 out of 10 three-pointers and got a game-high 27 points and helped Team China beat Brazil 84-64 and advance to the semifinal. But the game didn't start well for Team China, as the Brazilian girls quickly found and took advantage of the loopholes in China's defense line and gained a 7-0 lead for the team. But after that, as the Chinese players gradually found the balance of attack and defense in their lineup, they started playing more aggressively and regained its lead by finishing the first quarter 24-21. Zhang was absolutely the key player in the first quarter as she contributed 11 points alone to overturn the deficit. Zhang kept being on fire in the second, second quarter and scored five out of, uh, out of seven three-pointer attempts and the, at the same time with three steals, and she led Team China with a 15-point edge over their opponents. And after falling behind, the Brazilians started falling low spirits as they couldn't find a chance to break through the strong block line formed by Han Xu and Liu Yutong, nor can they find a way to block Tang Ting's breakthroughs. And with another three-pointer from Zhang Jingyi near the end of the game, the Chinese team took the win with a large point gap. Their semifinal rival will be Team Chinese Taipei on Thursday, and let's see if they could take a revenge on Chinese Taipei as their men's team just beat the Chinese team earlier in the group stage. Yang Guang. Mm-hmm. Uh, what will be in the spotlight in Thursday's action? Well, for Thursday, I think the, the Shuangliu Sports Center Stadium is going to be packed with a lot of people who are going to watch the performance of Wu Yan Ni in the 100 meters hurdles. For those who don't know her, Wu is a Chinese player that has been rising to popularity recently on social media for a picture of her winning the 100 meters hurdles game on the National Athletics Championships this June. And it's the first time for the 26-year-old girl born in Sichuan province to compete in her hometown. She said uh, in an interview earlier that her role model is Liu Xiang, one of the most successful athletes in China, and hopefully she could also achieve some good results here like her idol. And apart from that, in swimming, we can definitely keep our eyes on the performance of three Chinese star swimmers, namely Qing Haiyang, Li Bingjie, and Zhang Yufei, who will all compete in their individual matches. And let's see if they could add more to Team China's medal table. And another highlight would be the volleyball matches, as the Chinese girls will soon face Czech Republic in the quarterfinal games. Earlier, the Chinese team has advanced to the best of eight by beating both Germany and Argentina in the group stage. So this time, they're also looking pretty strong and are definitely one of the favorites in the title contending race. 
Yangguang. All right, thank you very much. That was Tian Yu from the Chengdu World University Games. Turning to the FIFA Women's World Cup, South Africa achieved a miraculous progression to the last 16 after a dramatic 3-2 comeback victory over Italy. The South African players were on the brink of elimination after a 2-all tie in the 90th minute, but Tenby Kagatlana scored a stoppage time winner to help them advance to the round of 16 for the first time at the event. Sweden beat Argentina 2-0 to advance to the last 16 as the top finisher of Group G. In Tuesday's action, Team China suffered a 6-1 loss against England and bowed out from the group stage for the first time at the showpiece event. Lauren James contributed two goals and three assists, while China got a consolation from a penalty scored by Wang Xuan. England progressed to the last 16 after three consecutive wins in Group D. Coach Serena Vickman says the team played a perfect match to advance. We are growing into this tournament. I think tonight we had a great performance. I think the first part of um, the game, Denmark, we played really well too. Um, and the second half, we're struggling a little bit, especially with keeping the ball in possession. So to prevent, or of course, to trying to create chances and score goals, but also uh, prevent uh, counterattacks. And, and that uh, we had some moments of that today. We hardly had moments like that. Um, was because we played well, but also uh, China didn't press all the time. China wrapped up its World Cup journey after one win and two losses. Coach Shui Qingxiao says the team will learn and bounce back from the setback. It's a pity that we lost the game by a big margin, which makes us see clearly how big the gap is between strong teams and ourselves. But we will keep going, learning how to face this gap and work hard to improve. In the same group, Denmark beat Haiti 2-0 to join England for the round of 16. And finally, in tennis, Chinese teenager Xiang Junchen has clinched two straight wins for the first time at an ATP event after defeating home favorite Ben Shelton in three sets at the City Open. Xiang has advanced to the last 16 in Washington, D.C. and next faces Francis Tiafo. The American beat Xiang earlier this year at the Australian Open in straight sets. Also at the City Open, China's Zhang Qiwen fell in straight sets to Madison Keys in the opening round of the women's action. Thank you very much. That's Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, an evening of adventure at the National Natural History Museum in Beijing. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. 54 past the hour. Uh, The National Natural History Museum in Beijing has kicked off its Night at the Museum evenings, a unique late-night experience for visitors. From 6 to 9 p.m. this month, the team will organize a series of activities, including lectures, movies, and the staging of an original stage play titled I Am Red Peter. Uh, One highlight is a sleepover for children accompanied by their families. When the doors close and the lights dim, 30 families will have the chance to wander through empty galleries, passing dinosaurs and exploring the history of humanity in a nightly adventure. Uh, The Night at the Museum activity began in 2006 and has received over 100,000 visits so far. Well, cats have been a much-loved companion of humans for centuries. An exhibition named Cats in the East is now underway at the 798 Art District in Beijing. The show takes visitors through history and tells the story of cats in China. Ding Siyuei spoke with the curators of the exhibition. An immersive experience by paintings, installations, and digital art. 
This is the first large-scale exhibition in China that focuses on cats. Using various art forms, the exhibition explores the symbolic imagery and cultural relevance of cats throughout history. Cats have held different meaning throughout history, whether mysterious or magical or sweet. This exhibition explores the history and emotional connection with cats, and reflects on all aspects of human nature and social life. Cats have a history of more than 2,000 years in China. There are records of them in the poems of the Western Zhou Dynasty. From functional use to emotional company, the exhibition explains cats in the context of history. There are many exhibitions introducing traditional culture, but we chose a very special topic. We look at the changes of ancient culture through the change of the status of cats in Chinese culture. Since the Song Dynasty, cats have been a frequent feature in the works of literati. In this exhibition, a new media work takes the style of the Song Dynasty painting, Riverside Scene at Qingming Festival as inspiration, to a scene of bustling city where cats appear everywhere in people's daily lives. The Song Dynasty saw a rich and diverse social life and culture. We want to show cats in the Song Dynasty through this work. There's a scene of na mao or engagement with the cat. There are records that in ancient times people needed to bring betrothal gifts and sign an agreement in order to raise a cat. We use animation to recreate the scene. We decided to use digital art in this exhibition at the very beginning of our planning. The hope is to combine the history of the cats with the history of art in ancient China. We use elements from Han Dynasty portrait plates, Tang Dynasty murals, Song Dynasty ink paintings, and modern illustrations. New media art provides a more immersive experience and gives visitor a chance to pet a cat from the painting. The exhibition also shows ukiyo-e works of cats from Japan. And in the last section of the show, contemporary artists created works on how they view cats in this modern time. That was Ding Xiaowei on an exhibition of the stories of cats throughout the Chinese history. Uh, author Sebastian Barry, who's received four previous nominations for the Booker Prize, is one of four Irish writers to make the long list of semi-finalists for that prestigious award. Once again, Barry is up this year for his novel *Old God's Time*, about a retired police detective who gets dragged back into a cold case investigation of a murdered priest suspected of abusing children. Twelve other writers, including four debut novelists, are up for the sixty-four thousand U.S. dollar prize. 58 past the hour. Beijing's at 26 degrees overnight tomorrow. Overcast skies and 34. Chongqing has a slight rain in the forecast in 26 this evening. Rain continues through the day tomorrow with a high of 34. Alaska has a slight rain and 12 overnight, then cloudy in 23. Hong Kong's at 28 this evening. Sunny in 33 tomorrow.、Uh, elsewhere, Tokyo's 26 overnight. It'll be partly cloudy in 34 on Thursday. Bangkok's 20,、uh, 28 overnight and thunderstorms and 33. Degrees on Thursday. Okinawa is getting some rain in 31 this evening. That rain continues tomorrow with a high of 31. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today: Typhoon Kanun has killed at least one person in Japan and is now slowly churning towards China's east coast. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. 
at what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant who made people, and Mr. Curious, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the Baron on the tree. This is our new season of Chinese folk tales, and we will explore the ancient mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.